So we are making our way through Colossians. We're going to spend one more week, this, this week plus next week, in the book of Colossians. And last week, I did talk about sex, and I wanted to, I didn't get to fully talk, close the loop on some aspects of it, so um, not that I'm going to cover all the aspects of sex. But let me, um, let, me, let, me, let me follow up on one thing, okay, that we talked about. One of the things we, talked to, we mentioned in the very beginning is when you go to youth camp, you have a bunch of restrictions on clothing. And then John also talked about the hallelujah rule. Like if you raise your hand, if you raise your hands in the air and your midriff is showing, then uh, you've got, yeah, exactly, just like Darius just did. Um, then you need, you can't, you can't, you got to change clothes. And so what I, what, the thing I didn't close the loop on was how, what's now our relationship with rules, right? How do you now relate to rules um, given, uh, given that in, in the Christian life, it is about relationship. It's about integration. Um, and sex was designed between, in marriage, between a man and a woman. How then do we relate with rules like that? And the metaphor that I'd like to um, kind of explore or think about in that regard is this metaphor of training wheels. Okay, because one of the things I talked about was rules are necessary, especially when you're immature or you're weak. And so I think youth camp rules around um, wardrobe, they're appropriate. Okay, I think they're, they're helpful. Now, it is possible, and it has, and probably some of you know, are aware of this, where the rules can be too much. It can be extremely, um, they can be extremely invasive, okay, or, or just ruin your whole experience of what's going on, okay. Lord, I pray for this woman right now. Um, Lord, that I pray for peace, and I pray for, um, I pray for that you help and address kind of the turmoil um, that's going on inside of her. And I pray that in line with this message, um, we would have compassion and humility and meekness and patience and kindness towards one another. We pray this in your name. Amen. So the metaphor of training wheels, one of the things that happens when you, when you use training wheels is that it's just a temporary device to help you learn how to ride a bicycle, okay? And the problem with training wheels, well, the great thing about training wheels is it keeps you from falling over. It keeps the, the bike from tipping over. Then the bad thing about training wheels is that it limits your turning radius. It reduces your speed. And I don't know if that you would ever attempt this, but definitely I would, I would highly encourage you not to go mountain biking with training wheels on. Because I think you're going to have some problems. And I think you would actually fall over um, if you had training wheels. And so the idea of training wheels is that they're temporary. And the ultimate end of them is to remove them, is to take them away. Because you understand the, you're, you're now motivated by the momentum that the Spirit of God gives you rather than relying on something to prop you up. Okay? And so the idea of training wheels, I think, is important as we think about rules, that in some areas of life we do need them and they are necessary. But we are never intended to ride with training wheels. That's not the life that Christ intended for us. And so I, there's definitely limitations to that metaphor, but that's one, that's one kind of helpful image that has been kind of an encouragement to me as I've thought about rules, as to think of them as training wheels, and that eventually we do not need them. Um, so I want to now um, just look at the, kind of the end of Colossians 2, and if you can turn with me, this, this kind of gives us some summary of how we deal with rules. And as we've been talking through the book of Colossians, the uh, false religion that Paul is addressing is called Gnosticism. Okay, and, and Fred the Gator kind of corrected me. It's not exactly Gnosticism. It's kind of a proto-Gnosticism, and the whole meaning it came before Gnosticism. And the idea here is that what's physical is evil, 
and what's spiritual is good, and the physical inhibits or uh, suppresses what's spiritual. And so you need to do whatever it takes to get to get rid of the physical, to not have a relationship with the physical body. And so that at the end of um, Colossians 2, it says, verse 20, If with Christ you died to the elemental spirits of the world, why, as if you were still alive in the world, do you submit to regulations, right? These are the physical regulations like don't, do not handle, do not taste, do not touch, referring to things that all perish as they are used, according to human precepts and teachings. These have indeed an appearance of wisdom in promoting self-made religion and asceticism. Okay, asceticism is a fancy word that means denial, denial of all physical things, and severity to the, severity to the body, but they are of no value in stopping the indulgence of the flesh. And so what, you know, just to finish this point about rules, training wheels are things that modify our behavior. Okay, they are things like do not handle, do not taste, and do not touch. Right? They have an appearance of wisdom, and there is a wisdom in them. But they have no value in stopping the indulgence of the flesh. Okay? And the flesh there isn't referring to just something physical. It's referring to selfish desires and our fallen, sinful, and evil, depraved nature. That's what it talks about when it says the indulgence of the flesh. I don't care what rules you have. It doesn't matter what rules you have. I don't care how many rules you have at a youth camp. Youth will find a way to break them. Okay? They will, they will find a way, and I, I've found ways to break those rules because not, there's no rules that stop the indulgence, indulgence of the flesh, those selfish desires. Okay, and then it's in that context that we come into chapter 3, and I'm going to be reading from chapter 3, verses 12 through 17, but I want you to notice, and this is often missed as we, as, uh, as we transition in Colossians, right? Because Colossians is written in kind of two sections, just very similar to Ephesians. First, you have all this stuff around theology, around who God is and what he's done on our behalf. And then the second half, you have who, uh, what we do as a result. And the danger whenever you get to the part about what to do is we lose sight of what God has done and who we are. And I want you to be very careful not to lose sight of that. In fact, Paul wants us, Paul gives us attention to it as he transitions. So even in verse 20, it says, if with Christ you died to the elemental spirits of the world, because what he's saying there is you, your, subst your substance, your identity has been altered in Christ, has been completely transformed. You are no longer the same person. And in 3.1, it says, if then you have been raised with Christ. So not only have you died, you've been brought back to life. You have a new substance. You have a new essence to who you are. And that is now with Christ. Before it's apart from Christ. Now it is with Christ. And he is continually reminding us of, reminding us of that as we go through this letter. Okay, and so now that's how we're coming into um, chapter 3, verse 12. Okay, so let me read that. I'm going to read 12 through 17. This is today's passage. Put on, then, as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another. And if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other as the Lord has forgiven you so you also must forgive. And above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. 
And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body. And be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. So I'm, I'm going three places today. First, the thing I want to talk about is what it means to put on the new self. Second, I want to talk about forgiveness. And lastly, I want to talk about singing. And I love this message today because we'll have instant application. Most sermons you'll hear, you won't get to apply them immediately. But we will be able to apply this message immediately today because we will be singing again. Okay. So the first thing is putting on the new self. And I want you to notice something about this entire book of Colossians. <laughs> and I won't ask the question because I think I'm going to get just a tremendous range of responses. And I think I, don't you hate it when someone asks a question and it's, it's an open question, but they're really looking for a very specific response. So I'm just going to say, I'm just going to say what it is that's missing here. There is no mention of the Holy Spirit in Colossians. Now, I think that's true. Now, if someone finds it, you can prove me wrong. But to my knowledge, as I've looked through this letter, there is no mention of the Holy Spirit. Now, what does that say about Paul? Did Paul forget? Did Paul forget the Holy Spirit? Because in the parallel letter, the book of Ephesians, Holy Spirit is all over that book. So the question is, why would Paul neglect to mention the Holy Spirit? Why would he neglect a third of the Trinity as he's writing the book of Colossians? Well, what, the thing I want to mention is, again, this comes down to Paul having his audience in mind and a theme in mind because he's writing against Gnosticism. Gnostics had no problem with the spiritual realm. So talking about the spirit was granted for them. What they had a problem with was the physical. And so I believe, and this is speculation, but I believe this, the, the observation is the spirit isn't mentioned, but I believe what's going on here is Paul already recognizes that the Gnostics' problem wasn't the spirit. In fact, they probably had a different understanding of spirit, or maybe a similar understanding, but he didn't need to go back over that again. What was important for Paul to emphasize was that Christ dwelt in bodily form, that Christ was in the physical, that Jesus, that the, the, the physical is also related to the spiritual. And so he is thinking about his audience and does not mention that aspect of who the spirit is. Now, um, I was talking with my dad, I think a couple weeks ago, as we're, as we're studying the scripture and talking about this observation. Um, there are mentions of who the Spirit is. For example, what the Spirit does. For example, at the end of chapter 1, it says, For this I toil, struggling with all his energy, that he powerfully works within me. What else would that be a reference to than what the Holy Spirit does, than who this Holy Spirit is? So there are implications about the Spirit of God throughout Colossians, but he's just not mentioned. And part of that is because Paul is concerned about this rhetoric of dealing with Gnosticism. Okay, again, that's my speculation. Now, the other aspect that I want to um, emphasize here, this whole idea of physical, the spiritual and the physical. Okay, because throughout this section, even as we transition into practice, Paul is reminding us of the theology. Okay, so I want you to notice in verse 12, it says, put on then. Right? Put on then God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts. You put on a compassionate heart, and then it gives you these virtues, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience. 
And then it says two things to rule in your hearts. Number one in 15, the peace of Christ. And then number two in 16, the word of Christ. Okay? Peace of Christ dwells in you. The word of Christ dwells in you. And then you put on. Now, why is Paul using these images? Because he wants us to understand something has happened inside of you because you have died with Christ and now you are new again. So substantively, you are different on the inside. <laughs> and when you're different on the inside, it works its way out to the outside. So what happens to you spiritually works itself out of you physically because there is a relationship between the spiritual and the physical. And it's not just antagonistic. It doesn't have to work against each other because the Gnostics believe the physical inhibited the spiritual. But what Paul is saying here is something happens inside of you and it works itself out. That's why you put on, holy, you know, you put on compassion and kindness and humility because those are manifestations of who you are in Christ. And then when it talks about the word of Christ and the peace of Christ, and we're going to delve into these in more detail, those are also manifestations of what Jesus has done for you. You already have the peace of Christ in you. You're allowing it to permeate. You already have the word of Christ in you. You're allowing it to diffuse through you. Okay, so let me give you a metaphor for what it means to diffuse something. Um, in our house, we have a cooking schedule, and every week I cook once. Okay, my boys cook once as well. And I kind of dread, I, I kind of dread cooking because uh, just Judy's a really good cook, and she, she directs me in everything I'm supposed to do. And then recently I made um, brown sugar and mustard salmon. Is this, was it salmon? I think it was salmon. Brown sugar and mustard. And so the instructions say you're supposed to mix the brown sugar and mustard together, right? You're supposed to diffuse it, allow it all to permeate. What's the right cooking word? Mix it. You're supposed to mix, you're supposed to mix the two together. Um, but I'm lazy, and I didn't mix it. So I just spread the mustard on, and then I took the brown sugar and kind of sprinkled it on top. But what happens is brown sugar is kind of clumpy. And so you just get these massive clumps of brown sugar um, on the salmon, okay? And so when you have the salmon, you have mustard and then just this cloying sweetness and then mustard and then cloying sweetness in these different bites. Because it did not permeate, it did not, I don't know the right word is permeate, right? Someone used, did someone have the right cooking? It wasn't mixed, right? It just wasn't, it wasn't diffused correctly throughout the, uh, the, throughout the sauce and it just, it, it didn't taste good. It tasted terrible. And so what does this mean for us? You have the word of Christ in you. You have the peace of Christ in you. It needs to permeate throughout. It needs to manifest itself. We talked about the word manifest. It needs to work its way outward into your behavior. And that's what Paul's talking about here. These things that he's saying, you already have them. They are who you are. You're allowing them to diffuse through you, to manifest themselves so that people experience it and that doesn't just, you know, taste sweet in one bite and then like just salty in the other. It's sweet, salty together. All right, I won't, I won't do that metaphor. I'm, Judy's looking at me like, wow, don't do that. Okay. Okay, so let's move on to the next part. This idea of for forgiveness. So in verse 12 and 13, it talks about God's chosen ones. You put on these virtues, compassionate hearts. It talks about kindness, humility, meekness, and patience. And then it says something interesting. In verse 13, it says, bearing with one another. And if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. So I want to talk about what's considered a virtue today that actually isn't a virtue, biblically speaking. And this idea of tolerance. Okay, sometimes I see this bumper sticker that says tolerance on the back of cars. 
And the idea of tolerance as a secular term is that you can stand another person, that you can coexist with them, right? In fact, you sometimes will hear that term coexist and tolerance kind of used together where we, you can occupy the same space as another person. And I think for a lot of us, when we think about this Christian idea of forgiveness, we don't necessarily think about kindness and humility and meekness and patience. We definitely think about bearing with one another, but I think for us, forgiveness and tolerance are kind of this main idea, the kind of the ideas that go together. Like what it means to forgive someone is I will tolerate them. I will stand being in their presence. In fact, actually, I think our Christian idea of forgiveness isn't even necessarily stand being in their presence. I just won't actively do anything against them, right? That's the side, that's how we practice as Christians, often how we practice forgiveness. But I think what's happening here in this text is actually much deeper than the absence of negative feelings and, and animosity. Because previous to this, earlier in, uh, in Colossians 3, it says, Now you must put, a, put them all away, anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk from your mouth. And I think as Christians, it's pretty easy, it's easier for us to kind of put that aside and, or just avoid someone so we don't indulge those negative, those kind of negative manifestations, right? These, this anger and this wrath. But what Paul is writing us here is that forgiveness is actually much deeper than the absence of hatred and malice. What Paul is saying is, put on then, because Christ has shown that to you, Christ has shown you compassion, because Christ has forgiven you, because Christ has been humble, meek, and patient, then you are to do the same, to demonstrate and manifest compassion and kindness and humility and meekness and patience. And so I'll give just a quick example there is a member of our household that I am not crazy about. I tolerate him, and that's our dog, okay? Cody, I tolerate him. I actually only tolerate him because my kids, my kids love him. My kids enjoy who he is, but I only tolerate him, and I only try to coexist in his space. Now, actually, I'm not apologetic at all. You can try to convince me all you want to be compassionate, kind, and gentle to Cody, but he's a, he's a dog. It's, it's, it's okay. I think it's okay. Some of you may think otherwise. But what this passage is commanding is that we treat each other with compassion, meekness, and kindness. One another, human beings, with kindness and humility. And what he's saying is, it may be your boss, it may be your coworker, it may be a family member or a relative. He is imploring us, hey, you know what? The manifestation of, of Christ's forgiveness of you and his compassion, it manifests itself, it evidences itself. You know it's worked its way through you by the way that you treat other people with compassion and kindness and humility and gentleness and patience. And here is a beautiful thing about the church, okay? Any local body of church, any local body. I know we started this church back in September, and some of you joined because you liked who else was joining, okay? You appreciated who was also being part of this church. And we definitely, we certainly invited people we liked. <laughs> but as this church grows, and this is my hope and prayer, there will be people who come that maybe you didn't choose to be friends, you wouldn't choose to be friends with if it weren't for the church, okay? And oftentimes, I'm sure people think that about me. Like, I would not be friends with that Fred guy if it weren't for the church. Praise God, <laughs> because I'm a gift to you, <laughs> okay? I'm a gift to you because I'm helping you bear with me. <laughs> That's right. 
And one thing I have been, uh, I just want to take a time to thank you guys and, and express gratitude. One thing I've been so impressed by as we have planted this church is your willingness to bear with me because every day I feel like I'm making mistakes and you've been, you've born with me and have compassion and humility and meekness and patience. Like when I forgot to charge the batteries or when I forgot kidsmen stuff or just, you know, something, something will always happen that I've forgotten. In fact, that's kind of my, my nightmare is waking up and like forgetting something. I've forgotten my kids. You know what I mean? Like there's just some crucial things that I forget. And it doesn't say if you have to bear with one another. <laughs> it is normative to bear with one another. That's normative. It's normal to bear with one another. You can expect that. It also says if one has a complaint against another, and it says, you know what I'm expecting it to see in verse 13, if one has a complaint against another, go to that person <laughs> and tell them your complaint. It doesn't say that. It doesn't say go to another person with your complaint. It actually says forgiving each other. If you have a complaint against one another, you forgive each other. So it's kind of this radical idea. The manifestation of Christ's compassion and forgiveness to us is to forgive and have compassion on others. And this is a far more difficult, in fact, impossible thing without the empowering of the Holy Spirit and the fact that we have been made new. This is, why, this is what it means to be a new person because Christ has enabled you through his spirit to be able to forgive and have compassion on others. That's what it means to put on the new self. So it's active, it's emotionally involved, and it looks for the best in others. And my hope and prayer is that we would have diversity in this church. And I don't just mean that from an ethnic standpoint. Actually, one of the things that I have noticed in this past year is that churches have been more and more torn apart over political divisions. And I've noticed, and, I, and I'm not sure this is necessarily intentional, but it seems to me, it seems to me, just, just at first glance, that churches have become more like politically fragmented. Like you go to a church because they agree with your political views. And my, my hope in terms of diversity is we'd have political diversity in this body and that we would bear one, with one another in that political diversity because disagreeing on that I think is actually pretty important and good. And that's part of bearing with one another and even, even potentially forgiving one another. But that's my hope and desire because that's a manifestation of what it means to have the forgiveness of Christ inside of us. Okay, the last one. My last point. In verse 14, as we go through this, and above all these, which put on, above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. And this sounds terrible right now, but I'm actually not going to talk about love that much because I think that is, um, I think that's been overused and that doesn't mean we shouldn't talk about it, but I think it's also helpful to define love by the context around it. And in the context here, to love someone means to forgive them. It means to have compassion with them. It means if you have a complaint someone, you forgive them. It means to bear with one another. It means humility. It means meekness. It means patience. And so we are fleshing out what love looks like. And that's Paul's point here, is above all else, everything, love is this glue that keeps things together in perfect harmony. And let the peace of Christ, this is verse 15, rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body. He's talking about the unity of believers. And be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. 
And so this, in the closing, I want to focus on one aspect of this because this, this uh, verse is actually in our, kind of, in our worship culture handbook or worship culture handout, which we, which we uh, kind of copied from Garden City, our sending church. And the, the thing that I want to bring your attention to is verse 16, where it says, Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness. And this idea is the word of Christ dwells in us, and the way that it dwells in us richly is for us to speak the word of Christ to one another. And I know in this season, some of you, a lot of you, or many of us, have attended online church, which is primarily one direction. It's receiving something. But when you read this passage, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. There are, I don't, I don't, I don't remember, there's pastors that talk about how there are so many one another's, and this is one of them, where to be the church is to actively teach, admonish one another, to sing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs to one another. Because it is insufficient to do church on your own. In fact, I would say it's impossible to do church on your own. I'm, I'm not exactly sure what it means. I'm, I'm, I think it's great if you want to listen to a sermon by yourself. That, that's fine. I listen to sermons all the time. And yet what this is saying is to be the church, to be in one body, to, for, to allow the word of Christ to dwell in us, it means to sing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs and to speak the word to each other. Okay, to speak to each other. Later the, today, we're going to have an open mic sharing time. And that's an opportunity for each of you to speak to one another. And then after the service is over, you can speak to one another. But there is this idea, and I, I'm not, I, don't, I wouldn't say it's wrong, but I, th I think sometimes it's misguided, that ultimately when we sing, especially in church, that we're singing to God. And again, I'm not, I'm not saying we're not supposed to sing to God, but in the context of this passage, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs is for the encouragement of, of other believers. We're not just singing to God. We're singing to one another. And that's why I hope, and it didn't totally happen today, but what I hope is that we can, we can sit in more or stand in more of a, a half circle so that we can see each other because we're meant to address one another when we are singing. And if it's not clear here, it is very, very clear in Ephesians, this parallel passage, Ephesians 5, 18 and 19, this parallel book, do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit. Now, Paul's talking about the Spirit here. This is the manifestation of the Spirit. Addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart. We're supposed to sing to one another. Judy and I, for our 20th anniversary trip, uh, went to New Orleans and visited, I think it was called uh, Franklin Street Baptist Church, something like that. And it was amazing. And there's no screens there. And there's no handouts. And there's no devices. You don't, there's no printed words anywhere. Because you're supposed to memorize the words to the songs. Everyone knows the words of the songs because they sing them all the time. And the choir is sitting up front, and you can see them. You can see them <laughs> singing to you. <laughs> and it's amazing. Because this, the manifestation of singing is to remind us who we are. When you sing, you are reminding each other who you are. We are proclaiming forgiveness to one another. You are proclaiming forgiveness to me, and I'm proclaiming forgiveness to you. You are singing compassion to me, and I'm singing compassion to you. 
because we've been, apart from him, broken and flawed and, sel- and selfish. And he has rescued us, and we are singing about that rescue. You know, two of my sons left for Boy Scout camp today, Micah and Elliot, and they, um, they're going to sing, and they're going to do cheers at Boy Scout camp. And I think they're awesome. I think these cheers they do are awesome. They're kind of geeky, but they're, they're pretty awesome because they remind them, they remind each other of who they are as Boy Scouts and what their values are. And if that's what Boy Scouts do, <laughs> how much more so those who are children of the Most High King proclaim the praises of the King and remind each other who we are as beloved children. That's what we do when we sing. And so let me just offer, um, let me just offer a couple training wheels <laughs> when it comes to singing. Okay, when I say training wheels, really take them as such. Okay, really take them as training wheels because I just want you to understand the principle. The principle is to sing, right? That's the riding the bike in this case. But here are some of the training wheels because I know some of you may not be comfortable uh, singing out loud and in person. And, and in fact, it's quite intimidating. If you think about it, singing as a group in church is a really strange and uncomfortable and weird thing, right? You don't do that among strangers. Usually it's something you do like in a car with friends that you know to Taylor Swift or something like that, right? That's, that's often when you feel most comfortable singing. But singing in public with a group of people, it's, it's a little strange. It's a little scary. And so let me give some training wheels for how to do that. And I, I also want to confess too, I violate some of these things, okay? But that's, that's why I can do that. Number one, uh, follow the leader. Okay, we have, we have leaders up here. Follow the leader, meaning like the words that they're singing, sing those same words, okay? Hopefully they're the words that are on the, uh, that are on the bit.ly, but sing those same words. And in fact, if you want to get to know those words better, in fact, you, you come here once a week and you sing it one time, and most of you, I'm, I'm guessing, are singing, ta- singing Taylor Swift way more. Of course you're going to remember those lyrics. If, you're gonna, if you want to remember lyrics to a song, the only way you're going to remember them is if you keep singing them. Um, we have a link to our Spotify playlist on uh, our bit.ly. So if you want to sing the songs that we sing on Sundays, you can link to that on our Spotify playlist. Okay, and that's on our bit.ly. Okay, first thing is to follow the leader. The second thing, okay, and again, training wheels, work on staying on tune and on tempo. Okay, this is not easy for me, okay? Um, I think sometimes I can stay on tune. Tempo is very hard. I, I tend to go too fast. That's okay. You're just, you're learning, you're practicing. Okay, it's an acquired habit. Third, sing even when you don't feel like it. Because if this is who you are, even when you sing, you're learning to manifest who you are. There have been so many times, I'm sure for many of you, you didn't want to go to church and you showed up and then you didn't regret it. You felt better afterwards and sometimes you do regret it. Um, but, but what I'm saying is if this is who you are, if you, have, if you have died and been raised with Christ, then singing is a manifestation of who you are as one of his beloved. It is the way that the word of Christ dwells richly in us. And then lastly, sing loud. Sing loud. I have a friend. Her name is Grace. Different one from this one. Um, back at my, one of my previous churches. And Grace would stand next to me and she would sing, I guess I sing kind of loud, and she would inspired, and she would sing as loud as possible right next to me. And she didn't have the greatest voice, and I, I, I could say that to her. She didn't have the greatest voice. She wasn't necessarily on key um, or on tempo. She wouldn't necessarily follow the leader, but I just still appreciate that she sang loud because she was reminding me of who I am. And there's something just really powerful in being able to do that. 
because this is who we are as his beloved children. And this is one of the few things that will endure throughout eternity. When we are celebrating in the throne room of God, we get to celebrate and sing together. Let's pray. Father God, thank you for the privilege it is to be a saint, to be one of your beloved children, to have been transferred from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light. Thank you that because we have died and been raised again, we have a new relationship with the physical. The physical no longer antagonizes us, but rather um, the spiritual informs how our bodies behave. And so because we have died with you, we can put on compassion and kindness and humility, meekness, and patience. Lord, would you call to mind those areas of life that your spirit have not diffused into, have not permeated to? And Lord, would you teach us about forgiveness, that it's not just the absence of enmity or hatred, but it includes compassion and it is active and it is emotionally involved? And Lord, would we, as a manifestation of what you have done on our behalf, would we sing, even when we don't feel like it, even if we're introverts, even if we feel like we can't hold a tune, will we sing in declaration to one another because we are reminding each other of the gospel. We are singing and proclaiming forgiveness over one another. We pray this in your name. Amen.